Hey guys, welcome to another episode of Love What You Do. I am Juliette Hahn, the host. So this is really exciting because my next guest, again, is another clubhouse friend, but she is doing something so unique and cool that I cannot wait for her to share her story, Michal Levitson. So first, before you share anything, I would love for you to give us your quote. I'm going to give my quote and then we'll go into the episode. Awesome. So my quote for today is, don't fall for the trap of knowing is half the battle. It's a false assumption that if people just learn the facts, they can change their behavior. It takes small changes to our habits and environment on a consistent basis to create lasting change. I love that. Is there an author to that or is that just uh, one that... That's a me. I mean, that's even better, right? So, okay, this is not a me, but it doesn't really have a person. It's just something I found on the website, uh, the website, the (laughs) The interwebs. (laughs) Right, the interwebs. And it's the glow hits different when you are healing, crushing your goals, walking in faith, stress free, happy, and focused. And I just love that because I think that's so like right now, what both of us are doing, we have found an energy and people keep saying, like, oh, you're glowing, you're glowing. And so I just want to know more about what you are doing. Welcome to your next stop. This is Juliet Hahn. I am a wife, mom, virtual coach, public speaker, and crazy obsessed dog lover. I am so honored to be able to take you into the life of someone that has followed a passion. Every week, I hope you are as inspired as I am. Welcome to your next stop. Okay, so Michal, give us a little bit of your journey. So kind of how you got to doing what you're doing, which is just so freaking cool. Thank you. Okay, so I'm originally from Israel, hence the hard to pronounce name. And (laughs) (laughs) it's the most unusual name ever. I mean, I love unusual names because it makes you stand out. It does. Or people just assume that my name is Michael. Whatever. Same thing. (laughs) (laughs) So I moved to this country when I was eight and a half years old, obviously not of my own volition, came with my folks. I was a pianist for a really long time. I started playing the piano when I was three years old. I built a career as a child. I competed, I performed on international stages, but by the time I was 16, I completely burnt out. So I had, you know, bumps on every muscle along my arms and down my back, and I was totally burnt out, like to a crisp. Right. And then I had to figure out what do I do with my life now, because I had had this giant plan of that was going to be my career. I was going to Juilliard. I was going to perform. I was going to travel the world and live a fabulous life. And all of a sudden it was like, ah, what do I do? So (laughs) So this is so interesting. And so I think it's also so relevant to our children today about how everything is thrown down their throat. So I need to stop you because I'm fascinated now because I... I obviously did not know about that because I love learning about when things happen. So when did you feel the spark like stop? And do you think that it affected your playing or do you feel like you still played with the passion or when you were like in it, you feel like you were at a different level? Yeah. So while I was in it, it was my passion. I poured my heart and my soul into music. I mean, the reason I burnt out was because at the age of 16, I was studying at Manhattan School of Music pre-college as well as a Juilliard pre-college. And I was the youngest person to be allowed, as a non-senior, I was allowed to have a solo piano recital for an hour and a half, Wow! which they did not allow anyone beside a senior to really get those stages because there were too many other kids who needed them. So I was very lucky, but I only had six weeks to prepare. 
Now, the type of program that I was playing, I probably should have taken six months because it was really aggressive. Right. So I was practicing 12 hours a day. I was anemic and I got mono. And so my mom would find me like fallen off of the piano bench or like fainted somewhere in a room. <laughs> so not great stuff. Oh um, <laughs> Where were your parents in that? Was this like solely driven by you? Were you like no. leading the reins? Okay. So no. That's- okay. So I was following in my mom's footsteps. My mom was on the radio by the time she was three years old, and she was a pianist. I mean, she also had a very similar path. She actually got her master's at Juilliard. So, I, you know, I was just following along in the same kind of. She was my teacher, and by the time I was thirteen, she wanted me to have a different perspective. But she always remained as my coach. But I think what I realized from that whole thing is. How how much we need to take intermittent breaks. And so now I I teach my children how to play the piano and they're doing it. And admittedly, like at the beginning, it was really, uh, they did not want to at all whatsoever. We've gotten to a good point where we don't fight about it anymore. Um, And they willingly practice the piano. But what I realized from my childhood is I never took a break. I didn't take weekends off. I didn't take summers off. I didn't take any time off, basically from the time I was three years old until I burnt out at 16. You know, I was an athlete, am an athlete. So I hear what you're saying, but literally I I remember friends doing piano and I never went that route. However, just hearing you, I could feel the passion that you had for that, but I could also feel your intenseness, right? And like, that must've been like you were eat, sleep, like that just, yeah, Yeah. I'm I'm starting to like feel tired for you. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) It's literally, it's like every breath is is something to do with the music and like, no, I can't go bowling today because God forbid I hurt my fingers right before a major competition. You know, everything fed into that. Right. So you had to sacrifice stuff, but you were loving it. And that's the thing. So you were loving it. And so that like sacrifice and going bowling, you're like, well, I see the bigger picture, which is very cool because not a lot of kids can do that. So like you definitely, that's something innate. So at 16, you were like, I'm done. Well, uh, not by choice. You know, I had had these plans. Like I got into Juilliard. I was going there for my undergrad. And all of a sudden, after this hour and a half long recital, I literally, and by the way, during the craziest thing is that during the recital, I literally wasn't even there. Like I was looking from above And at some point during like the second half of the recital, all of a sudden I noticed that my left hand had fallen off the piano and I was like, oh, I should put that back on. And that's it. That's really all I remember from that recital. So your body basically was like, we're we're done. We're done. We're done. Yes. So I went to... 14 different doctors went from Western medicine to Eastern medicine and all the way around the world changed my diet changed all these things but really ultimately my body just needed a break it needed to stop it couldn't go on and so the thought of going and doing this for undergrad obviously I couldn't I couldn't continue to practice uh, you know four to six hours a day that would just be unsustainable right and unreasonable to demand of my body so I stopped like cold turkey, which was really crazy because my entire identity was built into Michal as a pianist. 
Right. And also you're 16, which is a tough age. Oh, I mean, a that's tough a, age. It's a tough age. It's, it's, it's not it's a tough. great time. So that had to be really tough too. And so it, like, it, sh- it was shattering. It really like it shattered me because all of a sudden I didn't know who I was. I didn't know what to do. The irony is that I met my husband right after this happened. So or right before this happened, but we started dating like right after this happened, which is so interesting. So interesting. Right. So then it was figuring out now what? What do I do with my life? So and at sixteen, at, at 16, sixteen, so it's not it's not like even like you're at like sixteen. You're supposed to be just like oh I'm out, I'm having Whatever. fun, I'm, I'm dating boys, <laughs> like you know yes. I'm doing all these different things. But then to all of a sudden to be stopped in your tract. So you're like now thinking you're obviously a driven person. Stay tuned for a quick message from my sponsor. Hi, my name is Shari Hodes, and I'm the president of Aura Limited, a proud all-women-owned brand marketing and global sourcing agency. Simply put, we provide fashion-forward swag for any and all of your branding needs. Please visit us at www.auralimitedspelledout.com. Okay, so at 16, you're supposed to be like dating boys and having fun, not thinking about like what you're doing for the rest of your life. But at 16, because you had that drivenness, you were like, okay, what am I going to do with the rest of my life? So yeah, take us from there. Okay. So luckily, or obviously I was driven not only in piano, I also did very well in school. So I was able to all of a sudden shift and figure out like, okay, so now I'm going to apply to some liberal arts colleges and figure out, you know, from there. So I ended up uh, at a liberal arts college. Then it was literally, for me, I guess it was one, I decided to just, in terms of studying, just to take stuff that interested me. And then in terms of figuring out my life, I did a process of elimination. So each semester and every summer, I interned at a different place to figure out like, what do I like to do? Or what do I not like to do? Because I had no clue. And I thought maybe like something in the marketing arena, because it's Sounded like something that would be interesting to me. So I interned at a radio station. I interned for The Late Show with David Letterman. I interned doing events and, you know, all sorts of sports tournaments. So in that way, I kind of started to figure out, like, where am I going with my life? What am I doing? Which is cool. I mean, but it's also like, again, like perspective of like a, a, you're 16, but the fact that you had what you thought the rest of life was going to be and then you had to pivot. And so you also obviously also have a very good mindset because some people that would have taken completely out, right? Not saying that you didn't have a hard time, but some people would have really, it could have been at the end of them. So the fact that you were able to pivot now, were your parents supportive in this? Like so supportive and I'm the luckiest because they didn't have all of the money in the world, but they had love and support for all of us. And for them, it was so foreign. Like here I go to college and I'm taking all these crazy courses that they're like, you're studying what? (laughs) I ended up majoring in African-American history and theater. I mean, two very disparate majors. But I think the support is a really like, I think it also helps people like, yes, people can do it without support. But the fact that you had that backing of your parents, and I'm sure it was hard for them to see you go through all of this because it was also like what your mom went through and she was like okay this is like a little bit of a death to her right it's like this yeah. is like, this is what I expected for my child it's not going to happen she had to pivot too so that's yeah. tough yeah so you okay so you graduate college and then take us a little bit through there you did all these yes. internships so then I ended up really
really going in the marketing route. I worked at Ogilvy doing advertising, realizing like, oh, wow, I really don't like this. And then went in-house at a nonprofit. So I became the development director at the Coalition for the Homeless, raising millions of dollars a year to help homeless New Yorkers. And in there, I had another burnout because by that point, I'd been going literally nonstop because I, from freshman year of college all the way to here, I'd been working, trying to figure out what am I going to do with my life. I never really took enough breaks to give myself kind of like that breathing space and that room to grow and develop. And it's funny, I'm just going to give you a, a really funny anecdote for why I think breaks are so important now. When I was from three to 16, when I was practicing the piano all the time and learning new music and all this stuff, I didn't give myself the rest to let my brain kind of process things. So whereas other kids my age or, you know, that I was competing with could sight read on a dime, like you could they could open any piece of music and sit there and play. I struggled with that. I couldn't do it like that was something I and my mom could do it. I couldn't do it. And now it's funny because I took time off. I took like five, six years before I really like went back to the piano in any way, shape or form. And all of a sudden my brain had gotten the opportunity to really process things. And now I can open any music book and sit and play. I can look at them, you know, like, bam. Oh, that's amazing. And now when you go back and play, is that your happy place? Yeah, it's just joy. Yeah, that's so cool, though, that you were like, again, this is the thing that I want women to hear. So like you went, 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 but you didn't realize, okay, I need a break, even though your body was like, you need a break. And then you did it again. You went, 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 went. I did it again. I went hard. And then I actually I knew I knew I needed to quit. I quit my job and my boss was like, no, we'll make it better. We'll make it better. Please stay. Don't go. And then 9-11 happened and I was four blocks from the towers. I was the senior manager in the office at 24. I had to evacuate 80 something people, which was like, oh, wait, what? (laughs) So once they started opening up like the streets, so funny, we were on the north side of Chambers. So we were able to go back into the office, whereas the south side of Chambers was still like off limits. That's so crazy. So I, I lived in New York City at the time in 9-11 as well, but I my office was in Soho. So and I lived on Christopher and Bleecker. So I wasn't totally as downtown. But that's also like for a young mind for you to have to do that. That's like another. But obviously, I mean, again, you're you are like you're a special person because not everyone can handle what you handled from three to 16. Right. Like there's a lot of people. I built a lot of resilience there. Well, you know, it's funny because I was just talking to my son uh, uh, and his friend, they're basketball players. And I was saying there's such a thing of talent and then drive. Mm -hmm. Talent is something that you can't, if you have talent, you have talent. But again, drive is the same thing. If you have drive, like someone could be less talented, a lot less talented, but have that drive and be a better basketball player. So it's so very interesting and in anything in life, right? So that is something that you obviously were best blessed with. You were blessed with the drivenness and obviously you were very intelligent that you were able to kind of handle all those things. But at 24, you know, that's like another thing that you're like, oh, wow. Okay. 16, I had this huge (laughs) thing happen to me. Now at 24, I'm having another big thing happen to me. So then I was like, okay, I need to... To get out of here. So I, I did stay at the job. I stayed for as long and then you know I stayed for another five, six months. And then I said, okay, I'm done. I'm so burnt out. I'm like toast. Right. So <laughs> look, I can't I can't do anything else for anyone else. Right. I stepped back and I took some time 
and started a business that had nothing to do with anything I'd ever done before. I started a a jewelry and accessories business where my husband's grandmother had given me this like garbage bag full of leather scraps from her factory. And I started making handbags. And that was, it felt like it was just for me. It grew into an actual business where I was in like 60 stores in, in the US and also in Europe and Israel. So it grew into a legit business, so but cool. it felt like, like I did it for me. Right. It was like, I needed to be insular. I needed to do something that, that was creative and fueled by passion. So I did that for a few years before I went back into consulting and being with people again, which I did. Yeah. And I love that exactly what you just said, the passion and that fueled you because that is like the creativeness is what I find when I'm in creative mode. And I I talk about this often, like when I was a kid, I was the athlete, I was a terrible drawler. You know, I was not the artsy person. People would make that very clear. And I don't know if it was a teacher at some point, like, (laughs) Oh, you should not be drawing. Yeah, I know. Like you should not be drawing. You suck at this. And I remember like, I guess so terrible. So I was the athlete. So I never thought of myself as creative, like really not ever. Even when my kids were little, I hated crafts. Like I was like, Ugh. Ugh. but I just don't like crafts. But I, and so in my head, I thought, oh, that means I'm not creative. And then as I got older and as I create things, as I did my podcast and all these different things in this workshop that I'm creating, I'm like, oh my God, I'm so creative. I'm so creative. And yeah. I can't believe that like all those years. And it was never like a negative thing that I, but, but it was a label that I put on myself. Oh no, I'm, I don't do that. Right. I'm not, I'm not creative. And so even when my kids were little in school and they would ask me, oh mom, we have to do this art project. I'd be like, yeah, do that yourself. I suck at that. Right. It's such a limiting belief that is untrue because we're all creative. Yes. We're creative because we're creative beings. I mean, we literally create things exactly in whatever industry, in whatever way, whether you're a writer, whether you're great at arts and crafts. And by the way, my mom's high school art teacher thought that she was the worst student she'd ever had in her entire life. Fast forward, my mom in her 30s discovered a talent that had been hidden in her teenage years. And she is an incredible artist. That's so cool. Painter, sculptor, beyond belief. So, you know, there are also latent things and talents that bubble up when given an opportunity later in life. Right. So that's right. That's so true. So I love that you did that, but you tapped and you realized, okay, I need a creative outlet and you weren't doing your um, pianist stuff. So this is like, you know, you were like, I'm going to create something. And that was giving you the passion. So, okay. So you went there and then you started going back to the consulting. And then I went back into consulting and I started a company creating events. So whether it was the branding, the design, the production, I would come up with these out of the box, great, fun, crazy event ideas, and I would execute on them. And so I did that for a long time. So that and that was a great um, mix of my kind of like analytical brain and and numbers brain and all the creativity that I have, you know, from everything in my life, you know, from my mom being an artist, from being a pianist, from being a creative. So it really encapsulated kind of the two sides of my brain, which was great because I'm built that way. And then I had kids. And then all of a sudden I had a new creative outlet because I felt like nobody was doing parenting in a style that made sense for me. So I was not, I'm not a helicopter parent, I'm not a tiger mom. I'm not like all of these things that were it when I started having kids. And I'm like, okay, well, like, where's my voice? Where's my parenting style out in the blogosphere? And it didn't exist. So I created a blog and I started blogging uh, a blog called Bump to Bean. And I started just blogging about parenting and, and all sorts of the various, you know, things that came up. 
but it quickly really got narrowed down into building a family through food and how to develop a passion for food in your kids because that's what I was doing with mine. So when I found out I was pregnant with my first, the conversation my husband and I had was like, what is the most important thing? And I was like, food! <laughs> like, this kid needs to be able to go to restaurants and sit there for two hours with us, like, without devices and to enjoy the food and to be able to taste things. So that was our kind of MO. And that turned into a business because I ended up working with thousands of families, helping them build their families through food and, and develop nurture relationships and create bonds in the kitchen when cooking together and over a shared meal and, you know, doing activities that had food kind of integrated into them. And so it literally turned into this season moments and I was giving cooking workshops and I wrote a couple cookbooks. And then a few years ago, I realized that what I was doing with families was sorely lacking in the corporate world. And so I realized like, oh my God, what I'm doing in terms of creating bonds and relationships and really creating cohesive teams is what we need in the workforce because the engagement rates are super low. Retention rates are ridiculous. Millennials especially tend to stay at a job for eight months. So like the HR cycle spins out of control. It's 24-7 looking for new talent, which is a waste of time, a waste of money, a waste of resources because not only do you have to look for the talent, you then need to onboard them and you need to integrate them and you have to hope that they stay. And so I realized that I had this like amazing solution that doesn't require offsites or after hours or these, you know, team building activities that cost companies billions of dollars each year with a really low return on the investment. But I could talk to them about lunch, which is like this perfect networking opportunity built into the day that if you as a, give a directive from the leadership to say like, okay, you're going to take your lunch, you're going to take 20, 30 minutes, an hour, whatever it is, step away from your desk, you're going to sit at a table and actually have food with another human. And don't talk about work. Right. So I, but so you know what I love, and I'm sure you realize this, but this also ties into taking a break. And you're taking, that's exactly what it is. That is the driving principle here. And so that's what you took that, those two lessons that you learned in your life, because you had to learn them twice. Because a lot of times we do, we repeat what we do, but it's just, it's human nature. And then you found it. And I love that your kids kind of sparked this. That's like the next chapter. And, and I think it's so important for us moms to hear. And I have had so many guests and we say, we don't have to do it all. And I think there's so many times that we, you know, women at there's certain times as grow, like when I know when my kids were young, it was the time where it's like, you can work and be a mom. And I remember really struggling with that because I always just wanted to stay home with my kids. And I was fortunate enough that I was able to. And I remember going back and forth. I like I call with a nanny. I was like going to go back to work and I was traveling so much with my job. And I just remember being so sad. And my sister saying to me, what is going to make you a better mom and wife? And I was like staying home. And I it didn't even I didn't even pause. And she's like, well, then why are you going back? And I was like, I don't know, because I think I was supposed to. And she's like, no, you're not. And she was able to go back because she could work one day a week. My job wasn't that way. I was in an alternative advertising. I was traveling everywhere. So I think that's so important. And I remember when I was like, you're right. And my husband was like, I will support you how, whatever you want. Like, I will be happy. I'm there both ways. And then when I decided to stay home, he's like, I'm really happy because I think this is like one thing that I loved about you. Like you love kids. You love being with kids. You love getting down and dirty. And, and I just can't wait to see you do this and being, you know, the person there. So it was really, it was a really nice moment 
woman, but that is true. Like there's some women that want to do that all, but I knew I was not going to do it well. Like I was not going to be the best mom. I was not going to be the best employee and I was not going to be the best wife. Like my husband definitely would have been in the back burner there because I wouldn't, I wouldn't have done it. And that's how I still like, I am someone that's all or nothing. And I know that about myself. So I need to be careful what I'm doing. If I'm doing too many things, I spin out of control. So I have to really focus down. So I love that you took a lesson that you had from two different times in your life and then you had children and then you created this amazing experience for people. So tell us where people can find you and then also, you know, give us like some of your favorite experiences that you had and a little bit more about the business and, you know, where it's going and where you see it. But let let people know where they can find you on the socials. I'm at Season Moments everywhere. So on Facebook, it's slash Season Moments. On Instagram, it's at Season Moments. On Clubhouse, at Season Moments. LinkedIn, it's Michal Levison. And then my website is www.seasonmoments.com. Okay, so I'm going to have, because I'm dyslexic. So I know anyone that's dyslexic, they're going to be like, what the hell? I can't, can you spell (laughs) all of those things? (laughs) I'd be like typing it in and spelling it wrong and being like, ah, I can't find it. Oh, no. So seasoned, like you're putting seasoning, something that is seasoned. uh, So S-E-A-S-O-N-E-D moments, M-O-M-E-N-T-S. So like the moments around our table are these seasoned moments because we're, we're sharing a meal, we're sharing about each other. I, I think that food is the universal language, right? And I find that it is the opening to conversation. It is the bridge across all the divides. I firmly believe that if we can break bread together, share a meal, we can really start to tackle problems because there is a very basic human psychology where when you share a meal with someone, you literally are trusting that the food that you're eating is not going to kill you. And so there's this very visceral trust that is formed that is hard to replicate in other scenarios. So when you share a meal, you're building a level of trust that you can then build on. I love to use this with families. I use it in corporations. I've even used it with communities who have come to me and said, we have a community of people who come from different backgrounds, who have different religions, different cultures. We don't know how to get them to talk to each other. We need to build a unified community So I've created opportunities, you know, through a shared meal where we can look at the similarities between us as opposed to the differences. If you take pretty much any culture around the globe, every culture has a stuffed dough, right? So you've got dim sum, you've got uh, pierogies, you have empanadas, like every culture takes it, you raviolis and it'll, you know, like every culture takes a dough and shoves something inside and calls it their own thing. And if we look at it that way and say like, oh my God, oh, we do something similar. We do it like this, or, you know, this is the seasonings. We Then we learn a little bit more about each other, but we see how similar we are and then we can build on it. And then we can have harder conversations because there's that baseline of trust that is built. And then we can use it as a foundation to really grow. That's amazing. Okay. So someone want like, say there's a corporation right now out there that's listening and they were like, okay, we're, we want to hire you to do this. 
do you do the catering or do you like, are you the organization of the person that organizes all the different aspects of it? So what I do is I offer, it's more workshops. So it's really well-being programming. So it's anything from, it can be a one-off, which is lovely. I come in and I do a workshop or do a speaking opportunity, but I'm now also introducing almost like a subscription series where you can have once a month, I do a live workshop. It can be in person or on, you know, virtual. And it's a live interactive workshop where we cover different topics of how to build trust, how to uh, boost productivity, connection, collaboration, networking, engagement, retention, all of these things that help build a unified, engaged workplace culture. So there's that. And it can be as frequent as once a week. You know, I, I have different packages with accountability groups and all, all the things that go together. So for anyone who's looking to build a culture that really is more robust, more resilient, and ultimately more productive, I've got some solutions out there for you. Oh my gosh, I love that. So Michael, thank you so much for coming in and sharing your story. And I mean, fascinating. You fascinate me. I love like every episode of that I interview people. It's just so many different aspects of the world and cultures and things that people bring in to find their passion and then to execute it. And that's what this series, Love What You Do series is all about. It's just tapping into things that you're good at, but not just sitting on it, right? Taking it and going. And you obviously are someone that's like, okay, I have this idea. I'm running with it. It. And then it, as it goes, but that's what I want people to do. That's what my workshop that I'm creating right now, I'm going to help them do that because it really I'm does with make you. for yes. a happier I think life. that what you're I doing mean, is so fabulous. Period. One, elevating these stories and two, helping other people chase their passion and really take it from passion to goal to reality. I think what you're doing is amazing. Thank you. Well, thank you again for joining. And guys, if you like what you hear, subscribe, share, rate the podcast. That's how it gets out here. And we will see you next week with another woman that is inspiring and lighting the world on fire. So thank you again so much for joining us. Thank you. I hope you liked this episode of Your Next Stop. Please subscribe to my channel, share with your friends and join in each week. 